All right, text-based. Tanya, in the middle of chapter 42, we're speaking about how to cultivate the feeling of awe. And how do we cultivate the feeling of awe? And for that matter, how do we cultivate any feeling? Meditation. And what we were speaking about at the end of last week, actually it was two weeks ago, because then we had a break last week, we were speaking about <clears throat> thinking about Hashem's omniscience, the eye that sees, the ear that hears. And although those are anthropomorphic metaphors and Hashem has no bodily likeness, nevertheless, to the contrary, the fact that he has no bodily likeness does not make the metaphor less powerful, it makes it more powerful because he's not limited like a physical eye or a physical ear. And we're meditating on Hashem's omniscience in order, again, to instill a feeling of awe within us. Okay. Every single Jew, no matter who he is, or who she is. If I think about this for a good amount of time every day. So you see right here, this is not a one-time thing. You see also that it's not a reactive thing that you do because all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I need some yira, I need some awe. No, it's a regimen, it's a discipline. It becomes part of your life. So if you'll think about this for a good amount of time every day. Now he summarizes what it is, what it is, what it is that you're thinking about. You're thinking about, just to summarize, how Hashem fills the higher and lower worlds. He is omnipresent. He fills the heavens and the earth. They are literally full of His glory. And nevertheless, simultaneously, as he's filling everything, he's staring and scrutinizing your innards, your insides, meaning your emotional state. He's reading your mind. And he's monitoring your actions and your speech. And all of your steps are enumerated or he's counting, meaning he's keeping track. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. <laughs> What's, why is everyone laughing? It's just, it's what it's, what? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Azai, so then if you will think about this, if you will think about Hashem's omniscience, and how although he's everywhere and omniscient, he knows everything and he is everywhere. And nevertheless, he's focusing on you. As I then. That will set up in your heart all for the whole day. For the whole day. So you do a little yira meditation and you set yourself up for the whole day when you'll go back and do even a light meditation. He calls it hisbeinus kala, kala with a kuf, not kala like a bride. Kala meaning light, like a, a light little meditation. You understand what he's describing? So you do the more focused, intense meditation at the beginning of the day. That's how you start yourself off before you go out into the world. 
And then later in the day, when you need to summon it up again, you need to freshen it up. So then you can even do a hisbeinus kala. Hisbeinus kala means just be conscious of it. And you'll reinstate that feeling that came from the more intense, focused version that you did earlier in the day. Bechol es, bechol shah, at any time. You will be able to go away from bad and do good in thought, speech, and action. So that you should not rebel before Hashem who fills all the earth. Like Rabbi Yechem Menzake told his students, as we mentioned earlier, the story where he said to them, yeah, I wish that uh, you should be as afraid of Hashem as you are of people. And they're like, what? Shouldn't you be more afraid of Hashem than people? And he says, apparently not. <laughs> because you see, Hashem's always watching and people sin. But people have inhibition, they have social inhibition when they think other human beings are watching. So I wish you would have as much self-awareness in front of Hashem as you would, as generally people do have in front of, in front of people. At any rate, the point is, let me just ask you a question, reality check. What's the point of this yira? How, how is it meant to be expressed? Mitzvahs. Mitzvahs, very good. Just want to make sure. Um, the bottom line, like what's it for? What are you going to do with your yira once you have your yira? Well, you're going to use it to guide your behaviors. So I just want to make sure everyone understands. This is not spirituality for the sake of spirituality. We're not here to get high on the spiritual ideas. This is to bolster our mitzvah observance. Why do we care about mitzvah observance? Because Hashem told us. Well, Hashem told us, yeah. And why do we care what Hashem told us? Because we love and fear Hashem. Now that's circular logic, because we love and fear Hashem. So we love and fear Hashem, so therefore we do what He told us. And why do we care what He told us? Because we love and fear Him. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. I mean, that's our mission. Like we said in chapter 33. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our purpose. Yeah, of course. That's not enough for me. Well, that's what it comes down to. So I'm going to, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you, in the worldview of Tanya, especially in the manner in which we have inherited it, meaning the Alter Rebbe's descendant, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, was not only responsible for proliferating the Alter Rebbe's teachings in the world, but also for interpreting them. So when we speak about Tanya in this day and age, the Masaira that we have is the way the Rebbe presented it to us. And there's no question that the main emphasis on Tanya's worldview, when you get to the philosophical question of what's it all about? Why? Why does it matter? The answer is mission. That's it. It's not personal fulfillment. It's not reward. It's not even meaning. It's, it's mission. I need better leverage than mission. You know, like when we're trying to convince someone... I'm not sure that you do. I'm not sure that you do. In fact, I would like to steer you away from what you think might be better motivators. Okay and encourage you that mission is going to ultimately be the best motivator. 
I was yesterday. I was in uh, Baltimore, and you saw it. Was that a makeup for last time? It was a makeup for two weeks ago when my plane got diverted to Pittsburgh, which we discussed in this very class. Sure. And by the way, the reason was because they're short on air traffic controllers. Yes, that's what I heard. Yes. Okay, we're on a mission to stay focused. Yes. So at any rate, last night, what did I speak about? I spoke about the fact that the that the original lecture was supposed to be in honor of Gimel Thomas. It was two weeks ago that I was your site, but then it ended up being pushed off into the three weeks. So then I said, well, actually. It must be that this is even better, and it's all part of the plan. And then I explained, you know, three weeks is destruction, but really destruction is part of the plan. It's not destruction for the sake of destruction. There's a, there's a process. You've got to go through the process. And I said, sometimes you get diverted, and your plane lands in Pittsburgh instead of in Baltimore, but that's all part of the plan, and here we are. It's two weeks later, and, you know, this is, this is the way it's meant to be. So, anyways, but that's not what I want to tell you. Before I went on, I was discussing with a few people who had taken my parenting course. Uh, I forget how it came up even, but the question of like, the parenting course being basically working on yourself, which is the bait and switch. I don't want to reveal it here in the Tanya Shia, but basically if you take my parenting course, the first class you learn that it's really bait and switch. It's not about getting your kids to eat their broccoli. It's about doing the work that you need to do and parenting is the motivation. So anyways, I was speaking about this with someone in Baltimore last night. I said, you know, we all know that we need to become better. We need to improve. But sometimes we need motivation. It's interesting. For ourselves, we won't do it. But for our kids, we'll do it. So that's the same thing I'm telling you, is that mission is the ultimate motivator. For personal fulfillment, trust me, I'm not going to do any of this. Even if you'll tell me it'll make me so awesome. All right, you know what? I, I have a little bit of a lazy streak and a, even maybe a, a penchant for self-punishment. I might even purposely choose not to improve myself just for some perverted reason. <laughs> but if you tell me that it's required for the mission, it's kind of hard to talk myself out of it. Then I kind of have to do it. So at the end of the day, like, what's all this about? Why am I trying to have enough awe to get me to observe Hashem's mitzvahs? Like, why should I care? You know why you should care? Because it's, you're, 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 you, were, you were drafted. So at this point, it's not really about if you see any value in it. Apparently someone else sees value in it. You know, the, I don't want to get, like, off the topic too much. But you know the, the famous story about there was a Fabreng in 770 that Rebbe was speaking about how somebody, a chassid, was on a radio show. And, you know, today would be a podcast. So he said he was, on a, he was a guest on a podcast. And the host asked him, how come in Torah they could put somebody to death for doing things that don't really disrupt society. Like, if a person's a murderer, I understand, but, like, a person worships idols or violates Shabbos. Like, whose business is that but your own? So, the Rebbe said that this guest, this chosid, who was a guest on this podcast, I'm going to call it a podcast, it was really a radio show, but he said, well, you know, it was very rare. It was very rare, 
And the Talmud says it was only once in seven years the capital punishment was actually meted out. Some say it was only once in 70 years. And you need to have Adam and Hasra. That means you have to have witnesses and you have to warn the person. So it was so rare. There's so many different uh, preconditions that have to be met. It, it rarely ever happened. So the Rebbe said, he answered okay, you know, it's, a, it's an okay answer, but really he could have had such a stronger answer. And he could, his answer could have been based on current events. And the Rebbe mentioned that that week there was a manned space flight. So the Rebbe said, imagine a guy is trained by his government to go on a space flight and uh, they put all this money and time into training him and he gets up there and he has a couple minutes break and he decides he wants to light up a cigarette. Now this is back in the days when everybody smoked on planes, right? So remember those days? Yeah. This was in the 60s. Yeah. So they smoked at restaurants. Yeah, they smoked everywhere, yeah. So in the hospitals, yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Let's really get off the topic. Let's name all the places where people used to smoke. And they used to... Okay. So at any rate, so the Rebbe said, imagine a guy in a space mission, he all of a sudden wants to whip out a cigarette and he wants to start smoking. Now, it's not safe. He can't do that up there. He can't do that up there. So, uh, and he's going to say to you, well, what do you care? I'm on my break. It's like my personal, no, you're not on a break, you're on a manned space mission, and you are constantly on duty even when you're not on duty. And all the money and time that was invested into this mission is riding on you. So the Rebbe said, instead of the guy answering, well, yeah, Toyota does intrude on people's personal lives, but very rarely. The Rebbe, should, uh, the Rebbe said, the guy should have said that there is no personal, what are you talking about, we're on a mission, and everything has to be done in accordance with the accomplishing of that, of that mission. So that's what we come back to. Because if you go back to the whole premise that Hashem is one, we are all part of Hashem, which we learn like right from the beginning. And therefore, we have to do what Hashem wants in order to keep us unified. Because if I do what I want, and somebody else does what they want, what we're doing is we're splitting up yeah. Yeah, that's another way to put it. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say is the mission should be, like you say every day in Uvalatzion, um, please Hashem keep me from a life of futility. We're here not to have a futile life. But again, the question is, why are we not here to have a futile life? It's the, it's the famous question of like. Namadachsufa, bread of shame, right? Like, Hashem doesn't want us to have bread of shame, so He makes us work. Okay, so why does He make us work? Oh, because we'd be ashamed if we would get a free handout. Okay, so He made our psychology. He can make us not have that nature. Okay. The Rebbe asked that question. He said that, of course, Hashem could have given us a nature that we wouldn't be ashamed of getting a, a handout. But then, we wouldn't be productive and we wouldn't partner with him. And ultimately, our purpose is to be one with him, to be like him. And to be like him means to be creative like him. So the purpose of life is to be productive and to be a creator. 
And I think we live in a me world now, so it's very hard for people to understand that they're not here for me. Correct. And that attitude, as we spoke about, I think, last time, has been, did we? No, actually, we didn't. I spoke about this in L.A. last Shabbos. Perfect. The Shabbos before. <laughs> I can't, yeah. Well, I, I was thinking of, I, w I was in Pico Roberts in the Shabbos before last, and we were talking about how, um, we're talking about spiritual materialism. That basically people took selfishness and they imported it into, even into Jewish mysticism. How? They, they make, they make, they, they turn Siddhis itself into a, to a self-help program where it's ultimately all about my perfection. And the question is, well, well, why? Like, it's your favorite question. It's my favorite question, too. Why? Why is, okay, self-improvement, no problem. That's the what. But tell me the why. Why are you engaged in self-improvement? Why is it valuable? And you can't just tell me because it's meaningful to you. So ultimately the answer is because I'm on a mission and for the sake of the mission, I have to be my, my best self. So then if I'm on a mission, and it's, and it's not my mission. Then Benoni is enough because that's just mission. Mission is cerebral and it's behavior. So why are we talking about emotions like love and Okay, love? you're asking a fantastic question. Let me just repeat it for the people online who can't hear it. You said, if it's all about mission, then Benoni is enough, meaning behavioral perfection is enough. Why are we focusing now on emotions? And I'm going to throw it back at you. And I'm going to say, we just read this. He just said, and what are you going to do with that all once you cultivate it? You're going to turn it into a motivation to do the behaviors. So we're not talking about emotional refinement for its own sake. Ultimately, it's got to get cashed in specifically as the motivation for behaviors. So if you don't have the emotional but you just have the behaviors? In theory if somebody could do the behaviors without the emotions yeah maybe that's acceptable however what we're saying is it's not really tenable. But I don't it should be an automaton. Is mission synonymous for like take it for the team? Yeah that's part of it. Shaquille O'Neal said that I started winning rings when I stopped looking at my stats. When he stopped looking at his own performance, then the team started winning. Yeah, okay, let's continue here. You know what we need to do? We did this a long time ago. We haven't done it in a long time. We had like a, um, like a cholent day where we could talk about anything you wanted. We need to do that again sometime. Okay. <laughs> You'll bring the oh actual challenge. Okay. Now we're gonna answer the question that we started with in chapter in the beginning of chapter forty-two. I mean, we answered it already, but it's gonna re-answer it. and this is what the verse means. What does Hashem ask for you, from you? Remember at the beginning of the verse? What is, I mean, at the beginning of the chapter, what is Hashem asking for you? Except to fear Him and to walk in His ways. Now He reads the rest of the verse. We didn't read the rest of the... At the beginning of the chapter, we mentioned only the part of the verse that the Gemara examines, where it says, what does Hashem want from you? Nothing just to, to fear Him. It's okay. Not, no biggie. 
And then the Gemara asks, what do you mean no biggie? It is a biggie. And then it says, well, for Moshe Rabbeinu it's no biggie. And Moshe Rabbeinu is the one speaking here. Remember that from the beginning of the chapter? We're like, okay, fine, Moshe is the one speaking, but who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the regular people. So uh, how, how is that even an answer? So the Alter Rebbe's Chiddush is, well, Moshe Rabbeinu is not just the one who's speaking, he's the one being spoken to. What are you talking about? He's speaking to the Jewish people. Yeah, but he's speaking to the Moshe Rabbeinu that's in each one of us. And that if you'll access your inner Moshe Rabbeinu, remember what your inner Moshe Rabbeinu is from the beginning of chapter 42? Your das, your ability to focus. Toil, yeah. Well, you need the toil in order to access the das. Very good. Okay, the point is, it's not good enough to sit in a class and listen to somebody talking. You have to sweat. You have to work hard to understand these ideas and to integrate them, to apply them, to personalize them. That's das. And how do you do it? Your inner Moshe Rabbeinu. You have to take the information. It can't just be you're listening to somebody else talk. It can't be you read it in a book. That might be the beginning of the process. But you need to take the ideas and work with them and make it real, personal, experiential knowledge. Okay? So that's the Das, and that's the inner Moshe Rabbeinu. That verse that we began the chapter with continues, what does Hashem ask from you? Nothing, no big deal. Ki'im, except, liyira es Hashem alekov, to fear Hashem alekecho. Lolachas b'chol drochov, and to go in all of his ways. So basically the verse is spelling out, what are you going to do with that yira, with that all, once you have it? Lolachas b'chol drochov. You're going to go in all of his ways. The point of the yira is to serve as the motivation for practical mitzvah observance. Sorry to bore you. Practical mitzvah observance. Shehi yira hamavia lekiyam mitzvaysav yisbarich this is the yira that brings to the fulfillment of his mitzvahs, whether in going away from evil or doing good. This is the lower level of yira that we spoke about before. In other words, we're not even talking about high levels of, of yira. Yeah, we will talk about those, and, and it's a nice aspiration to have. But right now we're speaking about the lower level of yira, which means enough Yira to get you to do what you're supposed to do and to not do what you're not supposed to do. So is that the turn from evil and do good? Yes. Yeah. Okay. If Hashem is our ultimate parent, yeah. if I parented that way, and please I hope I don't, yeah. that would not really be... If you parented what way? With Yira, like get my kids to just have Yira so they do what they're supposed to do. First of all, it doesn't say just to have Yira. Right now we're speaking about Yira. At other times we'll speak about Ava. And you know from the previous chapter, from Pedic Mamala, from chapter 41, he already explained, you can't serve Hashem with just love, but you can't serve Hashem with just awe. So that's first of all. Secondly, yes, awe awe is not a toxic, um, it's it's not this... uh, it's awe, awe does not mean that somebody is afraid that somebody else is going to abuse their power over them and hurt them. Mm-hmm. That's not what awe means. Like it means respect. Reverence. It means reverence. It means, you know, there are people 
that you would not swear in front of. I don't know, you, you ladies are so able, you probably don't swear. But there are people you don't swear in front of. Why? Because you think they're going to slap you if you do? That's a very good example. No, because you respect them so much. Right. Now, you know they're not going to be upset. They're not. Thank God I had a father that I had all. Because I didn't care that one is disappointed. So that's all it means. I mean, it, it, it means more than that as well. But I'm saying it's not this toxic thing. What are you guys discussing? Which swears you say when you don't respect people? What's like the... What the you wouldn't say it in front of you. You wouldn't say it in front of me? It's so funny. You're watching your language in front of me. I'm watching my language in front of you. Baruch Hashem. And really the YouTube people are benefiting. I feel like the ugliest comes out here because like we could. No, but we wouldn't. We wouldn't swear. Because of the YouTube audience. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. Yeah, you want to have that discussion? Okay, fine. I don't want to have a long discussion about this, but you're talking about the, the punishments in Torah? Yeah. 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 Right. Yes. 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 So I said, do you want to have this yeah. discussion? Yeah. Fine. Okay, so I don't want to have it because it's derailing it, but I can do it in 30 seconds, and let's do it in 30 seconds. Okay. Yes. God willing. Yeah. Okay. Is there a parenting class today? Yes. No, it's not parenting. Marriage. Okay, let's, let's do this quickly. I don't want to have this stump the rabbi conversation. This is a classic high school stump the rabbi question. about. Okay, I'll do this in 30 seconds. Okay, let's do it in 30 seconds. Okay? All right. All right. How to reconcile, that's the question. If you have a doctor who tells you, dude, you cannot continue the way that you're continuing, you're going to have a heart attack. So would you say this guy is a fear monger? No, but I'm not talking about... No, I'm, 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 I'm just asking this question. When you're talking about, like, truth, like, if you don't follow this, then, like, a truth... Uh, but, but, I just... But, but, but I want to do the 30-second version, so I need you to be, to be docile and go along with me. Okay, listen. All right. The doctor tells you, I looked at your labs. It's not cool. You cannot continue doing this. You are a candidate for a heart attack. So this guy, he's a fear monger. He's, a, he's, he's, he's toxic. He's manipulative. Okay. So here's my... Okay, so you agree that that's okay for him to speak that way? I mean, hopefully he has some bedside manner, and before he pops that on you, he shakes your hand, how are you doing, how's the wife and kids? Okay, hopefully, okay. So then I just have one question for you, and I'm not even going to answer it. I'm going to allow you to answer it yourself. Do you believe that in theory it is possible to flout God's law and that that would, in theory, lead to a healthy life? except the fact that Hashem artificially imposes a system of reward and punishment, or do you believe, you follow what I'm saying? Or do you believe 
that that which is moral and right and good also is conducive to practical benefits? That's my question to you. Or the negative. Or the negative. Yeah. Or the negative. Yeah. You don't lose weight, you're going to have a heart attack. Yeah. Right. You're not going to listen, and the rain's not going to fall, and your crops aren't going to grow, and your, your, and your children are going to starve. Yeah. But I'm, I'm asking you, now, now it's taking 60 seconds. So I'm asking you a question. Do you believe that in theory, life could be just fine if we do whatever we want, as just Hashem decided that He's going to zap us for not doing what He wants? Or do you believe that when you do that which is spiritually healthy, it's also practically going to work out, and I don't like to speak negative, but that's what we're discussing right now. If you flout those rules and you don't do what's spiritually healthy, it's going to hurt. But it affects everybody. Just Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. It, hurts. it can hurt when you do everything Hashem wants you to do. Uh, don't, don't complicate no. it. You take me to expert level. You take me to expert level. I don't need the expert level. Hold on. Let's just, let's just resolve this. Let's just resolve this. Don't, don't complicate. I didn't even want to talk about this. Okay. So, let's clarify this. Why, why are there punishments? Because, why are there punishments? And why is Hashem transparent about those punishments? And why does He say it in a very blunt way? Especially in Tereh Shebech Sav? Because... Okay. 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 And you don't say, if you get back here now, or you touch them, and don't ever do that again. Now we're going to go into the discussion if we should punch them. He's got an It's the same thing. And they're running across the point is, bottom line, it is not possible. We learned this back in chapter 7. Remember chapter 7? Remember we talked about Asr and Mutter? Yes, tie down the phone in the hotel. Very good. Wow. But I don't know what it means. Wow. You just remember the metaphor? You didn't, you didn't use your internal motion to integrate it? I bet you do remember it. I'm going to prompt you to remember it. It's in your notes. In chapters, it's in the notes, okay. In cha- remember in chapter 7 we spoke about... It's tied down because it's not good for us, like the pig and the ham sandwich. Oh, so you do remember it. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so the question that we discussed back then are things things that the, the word asr means tied down. It means it can't be elevated. So you go to a cheap hotel and they tie everything down. The lamp is bolted to the table because they're afraid you're going to steal the lamp. So the question is, is it tied down because it's forbidden or is it forbidden because it's tied down? Real question. And you weren't here for chapter 7, so you get to actually think about this. Is it tied down because it's forbidden, or is it forbidden because it's tied down? In other words, is the designation of permissible and forbidden 
a divine convention of sorts. It's arbitrary. And then once it is deemed to be off limits, then to pre prevent you from transgressing, Hashem ties those things down? Or is it intrinsically tied down, meaning it does not have energy which is compatible with you, there's no elevation that can come to it through you, and therefore, as a favor to you, Hashem says, that's off limits. It's not good for you. It's useless. And you sp spoke about a, a life of futility. Okay, there's utility and futility. So if it's mission-driven, everything has to be utility. So why would you waste your time with something that can't benefit from your interaction with it? So to answer the question. Because we do feel like we're benefiting. Instantly. Okay, okay. So now you've pinpointed precisely what makes it difficult. There is such a thing, people get very uptight when I say this, as the benefit of a sin. I didn't make it up. Chazal speak about it. They say, schar mitzvah mitzvah, schar aveda aveda. There is such a thing as a schar aveda. Mm -hmm. Don't a spiritual schar or the, what we feel? Well, physical. spiritually, avedas aren't very beneficial. Right, so the but there is a schar aveda. And what's the schar aveda? Yeah, I don't have to sit here and give you a class about how Avedas feel good. Right. I wish that we needed a class. I wish that we didn't know why Avedas are, are, are Gishmak. But we all know they're Gishmak, yeah. the, mm -hmm. and that's what makes it difficult, because there is a perceived benefit. Right. Okay, fine. So how do we make the mission? The right. <laughs> now you're asking the right question, because many people, now you're asking the right question, because many people, what they do is they say, how do we make the pleasure of the sin pale in comparison to the pleasure of the mitzvah? That's the wrong question. And that's what most people do. They say, how do we make Ganadin more attractive than physical pleasure? That's not, the, that's not the way. The way is, how do we make the mission more real to you than the pleasure of doing what you want to do. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay, so now you're getting it. But anyways, I, I want to close the thread about why does the Torah speak in harsh ways and speak about negative things, re repercussions that are going to ensue from, from doing things that Hashem told you not to do. It's not that you would have had a fine life if God had just left us alone and He just decided to come in and be a martinet and a tyrant and make a bunch of rules and then punish us for not following those rules. That's not what it is. There is a system in the world, and it's going to hurt if you don't follow that system. So, is it shocking sometimes when the doctor says, you're a candidate for a heart attack? Yeah, it is. It is shocking. Is it shocking sometimes when it says in Torah, if you're not going to listen to me, what do you expect to happen? You think this is going to work in the long term? You don't think there's going to be a drought and you're going to starve? You can't flout the rules and expect things to work. It just, it's not how it's set up. So that's to answer the question. Hashem is not trying to find disincentives that are scary and painful enough to make us do what He wants us to do. That's not what's happening. 
Hashem is telling us clearly, this is the system, here's how it works. It's not going to go well for you. Not because I'm vengeful and I'm cruel. It feels vengeful, yes, and sometimes we describe Hashem's motives in ways that we subjectively understand. Like you asked, is Hashem really angry? Well, it feels like anger from our perspective, okay? That's our subjective experience of it. But the reality of it is, this is divine cause and effect. This is how it works in the spiritual world, and it devolves into the material world. There is no such thing as something that could work in the material world, but it doesn't work in the spiritual world. There's no such thing. If it doesn't work in the spiritual world, it won't work in the material world. It may give you a short-term benefit, but it will, not, it will not be sustainable. So ultimately, all of the mitzvahs are not just for our spiritual benefit. Oh, you'll have a nice Gan Eden. No, the mitzvahs are for our material benefit as well. Because it's all one reality. The spiritual, the material, it's all one thing. Does that answer the question? That took a lot longer than the 30 seconds I wanted, but did, did, we, resolve, did we resolve the, the issue? So how would a doctor make their labs more palatable? Yeah, that's why I gave the muscle of the doctor who says you're going to get a heart attack because it's like, whoa, why are you speaking to me that way? What are you trying to do? Give me a heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, because, uh, <coughs> yeah, because Chomish is the doctor comes in and says, do it, I looked at your labs, you are a candidate for a heart attack. That's Chomish. See, this is, later on, you see your doctor in shul, and he says, how are you doing? How's, how's the wife and kids? And now he's being all friendly. Well, hold on a second. I was in your office six hours ago, and you were scaring me. While you're pressing on all the kiddish food? Yeah, then you stop pressing on the kiddish food, because you see your doctor, like, you know what? You see, you see, I took cantaloupe. And you're not cursing in front of him. It's a, yeah, yeah, it's true. It is a different way of speaking. It's a different way of speaking. But it's, it's, it's one Hashem, and it's one message. It's the same God, and it's the same message, it's the same reality, but there are different contexts, different. I wouldn't tell somebody that if you really want to understand your personal relationship with Hashem, you should learn Chumash all day. I would say you should learn Chumash every year, you should do Chitas every day. You'll finish the whole Chumash every year. But if you want to really understand Hashem as far as your personal relationship, I'd say you, you should learn Chassidus doesn't mean that one is true and one, God forbid, and the other one's not true. Or even that one was true and now, God forbid, it's outmoded. They're all true. Question is context. Okay, can we, can we continue a little bit more? Okay, let's continue a little more. Okay. Are we going to get to our very important question? Our very important question? What was our very important question? How do we make the mission more attractive than the pleasure of the I don't think it's a complicated answer. I think it's a very simple answer. It's just basically talking about it. I, I don't think people generally even have that as an option. I don't even think it's offered. I think generally in the Torah observant world, it's not even part of the, of, of the discourse. In other words, they acknowledge that there are the 
pleasures of this world, then they tell you they are the pleasures of the world to come, and they try to convince you to forgo the pleasures of this world in order to have greater pleasures in the next world. Xidus is going to come and say to you, it's really, and not that that's untrue, not that, you know, the Mesilis Yishadim stuff is untrue. It is all true. It's just not our motivation. It's not our motivation. So our motivation is to bring Mashiach, to make the world a better place for everybody, not just for me. You know, I, since we're so derailed, yeah. You can derail it even more. Okay. Because they're on vacation. The second they're on vacation, everything, if I'm already going to not do one thing, then I'm just going to not do everything. So Hasidus is so much about valuing the process and obviously valuing our connection and the mitzvah. And I think that, you know, that's like the, what Rabbi Tal said, the more we talk about it, the more we discuss it, the more we learn Hasidus, the more we're conscious when we walk outside of the beauty that Hashem created and every single thing that's being created and we think about our love or our awe of Hashem, it definitely changed, I mean, it changed me since coming to these classes, and I've learned Hasidus my whole life. It changes the way we operate, even if it's not all the time. Right, but when we say the mission is to make a year of and then whatever else, how do we make that something that we want to do? If how do you make yourself care about it? Exactly. You talk about it, learn about it. Or women who are really struggling with Yiddishkeit and and uh -huh. the sin, the pleasures or the sins of this world. So here's the thing: you, you're, you're describing somebody who, and this is not uncommon in our day and age, who's dealing with an emotional burden. And in such a context, the added—I won't call it burden, but the added energy that it takes to be Torah observant is taxing. <clears throat> just to be frank, somebody who's dealing already with an emotional burden, they may feel, perhaps accurately, um, that they don't have a lot of extra emotional reserves, and so therefore they're barely functioning as a person, or maybe not even functioning as a person, now you want them to function as a Jew? Mm -hmm. So that becomes very hard to do what I'm supposed to do. And at the same time, there are things that are going to grant me short-term pleasure, which is distraction from my pain, so why wouldn't I do that, right? So you're talking about somebody who's in that kind of a situation, which I, I believe most of us in this generation, to some extent, are like that, some, some more, some less. And, and, and within our lives also we fluctuate, you know, to various varying degrees. Right, so here's the thing. To tell such a person who's in pain and who's trying to get escape through, through easy pleasure, to tell them, what are you doing? You, you, you fool. You, don't you know that you're going to pay for this in Gehenna? Don't you know that if you can hold yourself back, you're going to get 
pleasure in Gun Aiden? It's like, you know what, I'm in survival mode, and when you're in survival mode, it's here and now. That's it. When I'm in survival mode, it's like I cannot think. Forget about thinking after 120. If I'm in survival mode, I can't think about tomorrow. Right? right? I'm thinking about now. I'm in pain now. Okay. So that's why we <laughs> keep coming back to this concept of mission. Because what can you tell a person who's in pain? What can you tell them that can motivate them? That you're going to... They're already motivated by pain and pleasure. And then you're going to use pain and pleasure as a motivator, except a weakened version of it where you have to actually think cerebrally and, and to extend the stakes for, for, after, for after 120. No, so no, it's not going to work. So what's the message? The message is mission. That even though you are in pain, you are an indispensable part of the mission. And, and, and it's not about you right now. It's about what you're needed for. I don't know that you have to make it attractive. I think you just have to make it unambiguous so that even somebody who's going through hell knows that even though I don't want to get out of bed today, there are people counting on me. It's a responsibility. It's a responsibility. Take it for the team. It's a responsibility. Yes, it can be pressuring. And, it, and at the end of the day, you know, we're all works in progress, and you can't punish yourself when you fail, okay? And when you don't show up for other people, you're not a loser, you're not a failure. But what's your motivation for showing up? It's not for me. It's for others. It's for others. You're right. Not everybody's there. But here's the, here's the deal. There are people who like to argue, well, that's too lofty. And they'll even say, well, you know, the Ramchal even acknowledges there is such a madrega, but he calls it the level of chosid, and he says it's beyond most people, and most people aren't going to do it. And that's why, he, that's why he tells you to be motivated by schar and elam haba, because that is something everyone can relate to. And I'm going to tell you something. This is only anecdotal, but I see for myself, it is not motivating. Okay, so if once upon a time... It motivated people. Maybe when a person's greatest pleasure in this world was an apple. Right. <laughs> like, n n I'm not even joking. There, a hundred years ago, there were people that for their birthday, they would get a piece of fresh fruit. Their greatest indulgence in life was a piece of fresh fruit. Okay, so maybe these people, you could give them reward and punishment, pleasure, pain as a motivator. Today, it doesn't work. So you're saying it's a high level, it's a very lofty level to motivate people with the idea of mission. I don't know of any other motivation. So yeah, it's a high level, but it's our only level today. But I, I also do think that the fact that they know, and I've dealt with people that are in pain, the fact that you know it's not all or nothing, the fact that you know, even if you messed up, today in the morning you could still, you just did a mitzvah by smiling at the crossing guard, that is motivating. That is a connection. That is a string that all of a sudden says, you know how we say you have to find them in that moment that they're doing something good and compliment it? Catch them. Catch them doing You're that talking about the stuff. parenting class. Very good. <laughs> you catch them at that moment, and that moment is when they're doing a mitzvah if they're spiritually defunct. If that's where they're lacking, even ourselves, you know what, some days you might really have dropped off and not done everything that you were 
thought the night before you were going to be. But all of a sudden, a friend called you and you helped her. Pat yourself on the back and say, look, I just did something that connected me to Hashem. I just did something to boost my nefesh kit, my connection, my mutar, whatever we want to call it, my spiritual wealth. I just put some more cash into my spiritual bank. And do it to yourself. So even instead of focusing on all the things that you did not do, and all the things that you might have done that were not a connection, focus on the one or two or three or four that are connecting, and you'll start to see your whole demeanor change. But there's an unspoken question yes, here, which is... How do we value connection? How do you value connection? Exactly. Because you're saying, don't beat yourself up when you don't do it. Celebrate when you do do it. But what's, what are you celebrating? Right. But why is that valuable? What? But why is that valuable? No, I'm saying you bank, you fill up your... Yeah, yeah but why is it valuable? Why is their Mesiris Nefesh valuable? What did they accomplish? So, that's a good question. That is where that's we... The mission! The mission! And that's what it all comes down to. That the Mesiris Nefesh of past generations and the Mesiris Nefesh that we have today, which is a very different Mesiris Nefesh, what makes any of it valuable? I think the connection itself, though, you feel that right away. The person smiles. Well... Back. Really, no people on, who are well, on social media all day don't feel it. Well, they're detached. Okay, but that's the okay, so that, that's exactly her question. What do you say to someone who's detached? Zero judgment and lots of love. Zero judgment, lots of love is a prerequisite. What's the message? I understand the how-to, but the question is why. Like, yes, the mission. The why does it matter? Why does it matter? Is the mission? I think because Hashem is... I don't even know if the mission is to connect to Hashem. <clears throat> what packages the negative? The negative is packaged in kifos or tasty foods or whatever it is. Try and package our mission with those same values. What makes it, you know, you're bringing up a very good point, and I'm, it's something that I'm going to think about all week. And it's going to be, you know, if you're not automatically motivated by a concept that there is a mission... What can we do to package it so that you are? And that is what we're in, marketing all day, all of us. Like, we're marketing to ourselves, we're marketing to our families. Chabad for sure is into marketing to get people motivated. My husband needed, he felt like he wanted to lose a little bit of weight. And he said to himself, like, I tell people to switch their entire lives over, to go from non-kosher to kosher, and I can't control this little one thing. That, so, and that's it, that, that was his whole motivation. And he for years has been on that same diet. And it, I don't need to put into my mouth what is not permissible for me. What's not permissible for others might be a very different thing. So think about the packaging. Think about what it is that you're attracted to in a different mission, in the opposite of attaching to Hashem mission, and use that same thought process to try and Attention build a little bit Connect of connection through that. Connection. 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 Talk to yourself. And if we don't connect, we, 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 we,
sadly, the doctor says a lot of things to a lot of people in very few percentages. I don't know if I am going to answer the question. Why the mission is not connected? I said, I'm not sure that yes. connection is even the mission. Right, connection may be one thing that happens as a result of the mission, but I don't know that that's the mission. Okay. So what is the mission? Connection is one of the tools that accomplishes the mission, yes. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, when I say the mission, I mean the, the, the matara itself, the actual target, the actual goal. What is the mission? The mission is to give Hashem what He wants. Why? Who cares? Who cares? It does, but here's the thing. Yeah. He doesn't need or want anything. It's for He has us. no practical need. Right. But he it's, has it's a taiva. He, he has No, it's not for our benefit. It's for his benefit. But he doesn't need anything. He's I didn't say he needs anything. Or wants. Uh, he of course he desires. You don't need the But desire He's, means there's a lack. No, desire does not mean yeah, there's Hashem a lack. Has well, you have a desire when you're I think we need. What is the mission? The mission is to give Hashem what He wants. What does Hashem want? He wants to be here in this physical world. And He wants it not just to happen, He wants it to happen in a very specific way. He wants it to happen through us. And that's what, it, yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, you're asking it to me. You're asking it to me as if we've done a great job making the world aware of it, and they've rejected it. And that's not the case. People are not even aware. If you will ask the average Torah observant Jew why they do what they do, it is well. It it will be some version of reward and punishment. And the Mishnah tells us clearly reward and punishment is not to be our motivation. Reward and punishment certainly exists, but that's not a motivation. So, so then what is the motivation? Reward and punishment is an extrinsic motivator. The mission, valuing the mission, meaning valuing what your mitzvahs accomplish, is an intrinsic motivator. That's what it's all about. At bottom line, it's about realizing that you are accomplishing something. Now, if you say that it's really only, only for us, then the whole thing's a joke. The whole thing is an elaborate ruse to give us a system to earn stickers that we can cash in for some type of uh, reward at the end. And it doesn't even feel good. And it, does, it doesn't have intrinsic value. But if you say that the project is Hashem's project, and the project is therefore as intrinsically valuable as Hashem himself, and that I'm part of accomplishing something that has intrinsic value, oh, that's a whole different story. If you care, what if you but don't Rabbi, care? So, but Rabbi, at the end of that sentence is, if Hashem wants to live Somebody in who's world, in pain is not going to be motivated by pain care. and pleasure. Maybe not pain. But what are they going to be motivated by? 
a person who's in pain will get out of bed for other people, not for themselves. Every mother knows this. Okay, well, I, it's 12.30 now, but I wanted to get to a good stopping point. We didn't even get to a normal stopping point. Could I, like, do... Could I do... No, I'm not going to do a do-over. Let, let's, let's just get... I hear your question. Of course you hear your question. But here's the thing. I can't say this when we're recording. <clears throat> I've said it as clearly as I can say in a way that I'm comfortable being disseminated to the world. Yeah, come to the after party. Okay, let me just finish off here. Okay, we're just with one more line, okay? All right. So this consciousness, this awareness of Hashem's presence, and He's scrutinizing and watching, and therefore your deeds matter, and it motivates you to be careful in your behaviors. We call that Yira Tata, the lower Yira. Ulagabi Meishe, and for Moshe, meaning the internal Moshe, meaning your das, that is a very manageable feat. In other words, there is a part of you. You keep saying, why will I care? How do you get somebody to care? What do you mean? You have a Moshe Rabbeinu within you, which is capable of focusing on spiritual ideas and appreciating spiritual ideas. So your Moshe Rabbeinu is certainly capable of appreciating this concept, of valuing this concept, and being motivated, at least to the extent where it will guarantee certain behavioral outcomes. Exactly, thank you. Okay.